Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith-driven entrepreneur. The first person I should have worked on transforming their life was the first person I saw that day. And I did it the opposite way. I went out and did, okay, we're going to announce this to 5,000 people. Everybody go with me and help me out. And now what I've learned is, no, I got to get the leadership team committed to it and evaluate their ability to execute it. Then I got to get to the directors. Then I got to get to the managers. Then I got to get to the supervisors. And then the people are ready to be led into this. But you know what? There was a lot of grace and we sorted it out. We went out and had to rehire and train a lot of new leaders and a lot of new management. And it was bumpy, but it sorted itself out. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Rusty. Today, we're going to do something special. We're going to listen to a conversation that William and Henry had with Bryant Ambelang. Bryant is the president and CEO of Nature Suite, which is the largest greenhouse producer of tomatoes in North America. They have a lot of people, a lot of facilities. 8,000 associates operate in seven facilities, six in Mexico, one in the United States. Their products are distributed in major grocery stores in all 50 states and across Mexico and Canada, which means that if you've had a tomato anytime recently, it was probably a Nature Suite tomato. Bryant is headquartered in San Antonio, and Henry and William had the chance to hear about the incredible things that God is doing to unleash people through Nature Suite. Let's listen in on that conversation. Brian, it's absolutely awesome to have you on the show. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is a, a unique time for us. We've never had somebody who has worked with people of so many different backgrounds. And you've got an incredible company that's been really, really successful. And you employ thousands and thousands of people, and not just here in the United States, but in Mexico as well. And I'd love to hear about your story. We'd love to hear about your story, how you got started, how you got into this business, how you got into loving on people. And why don't you just riff a bit? Just tell us a little bit about how you got here. Sure. I, I was working for a venture capital company, of all things, and we were of looking at things. different companies to invest yeah. in. Yes, of all things. Can you imagine the mean venture capital guys were out looking for businesses to buy? And this was about 20 years ago, actually more than 20 years ago. This is uh, actually at 21, 22 years ago. And we found a Israeli entrepreneur who was building greenhouses in the United States to make great produce with. And when we went down to look at that business, which had five greenhouses south of San Antonio, Texas. We went inside and I ate the produce and said, oh my gosh, these are the best tasting tomatoes I've ever eaten in my life. And so we actually decided to make an investment and actually buy the company based on the opportunity to grow the best tasting tomatoes in the world. And that has been our mission ever since. So you started off as a venture capitalist, and you're doing a site visit. And this, of course, resonates with me because I am a venture capitalist. And you roll in to check out a company, and you're so taken by their product, tomatoes, that you're like, I got I to get involved in this. Yeah, and so you know what was remarkable to us was that this had a replicable technology 
where you could take out the variation of the flavor of the tomatoes by putting the product into a sheltered or what's called protected agriculture environment and by irrigating those plants in a specific way so as that they could produce fruit all year round that tasted like, as most people think about it, homegrown tomatoes. So that was the initial business proposition was, hey, let's go out and build greenhouses and let's build them in a climate that would be sustainable. That's how we ended up in Mexico was that the greenhouses were not heated or cooled. So if we took them down to Mexico, it's about 800 miles into the interior of Mexico, then we could produce these tomatoes on a year-round basis and have them taste like backyard tomatoes, summertime tomatoes all year round. Things have changed a little bit now because we have the greenhouses in Arizona that are heated and cooled. But the initial business proposition was simply, hey, let's make the best tasting tomatoes in the world using these greenhouses and growing them with the recipe that this gentleman initially taught us with. So how many employees were with the company when you first started? Yeah, directly, I say directly because we were contracting some growing at the time, but direct employees, I would say we had around 60 or 70 people. Okay. Okay. So this is the early days because we now know that there are six, seven, eight thousand folks that you've got working with you. So it's just 60 or 70 people 20 years ago and you see something and you're like, let's go ahead and scale it. Yeah, so we went out to go scale it. And today, as you mentioned, there's 8,000 people. We expect by the end of this year, there'll be about 10,000 people working for the company just because of the growth trajectory we're on right now. And so when we really hit a wall about 10 years ago, because our ability to continue to replicate the business model, we just weren't getting the productivity out of the greenhouses. We were struggling to figure out, well, how can we actually continue to grow the business and do it in a sustainable manner? Because we were building so many greenhouses to keep up with the growth, the growth really started to struggle. Yeah, And it was about that time that I had a couple of events in my life that made me take a step back and say, you know, these greenhouses don't just make great tomatoes. These greenhouses have the potential to transform people's lives in agriculture. Agriculture suffers. They're not salt of the earth people work in agriculture, but there is a belief that you can't have real human development programs because crops by nature are seasonal. So if someone's only going to come and harvest your crop for six to eight weeks, then what's the point in pouring a lot of training? Well, our greenhouses worked all year round. Yeah. So being able to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute, what if we actually asked our associates, our employees, we call them our associates. What if we actually asked our associates how we could replicate this growth in a sustainable manner? And that's when things really started to take off. So it sounds like early on you had a particular trip to Mexico that was pretty eye-opening and transformative for you. Maybe this is one of the events that you're talking about. What was it about that trip and what was it about the greenhouse concept that just changed the way you thought about labor? So there were three pretty significant events that all happened coincidentally, as they say, that helped me open up my eyes. You know, I wanted to have an impact on people's lives in Mexico, and I was doing that in a way that was separated from the vocation, if you can imagine that. And 
So we were digging wells, we were building houses, you know, think your average youth group mission trip. And our company was engaged in all of those things. We wanted to help people outside of the workplace to have clean water. We wanted to help people who had gone through natural disasters and like hurricanes or whatever. And we would go in and help them build houses. And one time in a community, I I looked around and in a community of about 350 people, realized there were no men in the community and that there were women and there were children. And I knew where all the men were. All the men were in the United States, probably working undocumented and sending their paychecks back to the village. And here I was digging a well. Yeah. And here I also was, from a work standpoint, needing more associates, needing more people to work at the company. And the epiphany, as I like to call it, was, what am I doing digging a well? I need to create jobs that are sustainable where the men would want to stay with their families uh, or the women also, quite honestly, and would want to come and work at Nature Suite with facilities, plants that we would build in their communities and where they could come there. So that was a significant moment in my life where I started to understand that I don't have to separate my vocation from how I want to love on people. I like the way you phrased that. So I can love people in a vocation. That's really interesting, Brian, when you talk about love people in a vocation. So that's something that is I feel like coming alive right now in people, right? I mean, I think churches are coming alive at this faith and work. Were were there particular people in your path or scriptures that guided you or pastors? How how did that come alive for you from a biblical perspective? You know, from a biblical perspective, I mean, the verse that hit me the most was really in Isaiah 58. And if you get the whole gist of Isaiah 58, the point of the chapter is, Hey, thanks for coming to church. Thanks for even giving your alms or your tithe. And thanks for beating your chest and praying. But what I actually want you to do is actually unleash the power of your workers. And the verse actually, in some translations, talks about untying the cords of the yoke. And so as we started to think about that, there was an incredible promise at the end of that verse And where it says, then you will call and the Lord will answer and you'll cry for help. And he will say, here am I. And it talks about him being your rear guard in the midst of that. That became a very important promise. (laughs) We started to roll this thing out uh, because things did not go smoothly. But that really shifted the definition of ministry for me. And I had always viewed myself as a very integrated guy. But I had not integrated this in my life. I hadn't thought about, wait a minute, how do I actually show up to people and give them jobs where they can fully express themselves and have the independence to make other decisions in their life? You know, it's really hard to make spiritual decisions when your stomach's growling. It's really hard to make spiritual decisions when you're afraid for your family's safety and for your family's well-being. And so that verse really shifted things for me. And then God brought the special blessing of bringing it to experience. And what I mean by bringing it to experience was at the same time, our board decided, let's triple the size of the company. (laughs) So, you know, and all of this is going on in a rather connected but not obvious way. And I think God's indirectness is an important attribute of his that we could actually learn a lot from. 
you know, there's suggestions out there that, you know, Brian, maybe you want to think about how all those things might interrelate. And he's, he's wonderful that way. And what I've learned over time is that's a great way to approach people is, hey, here's a few thoughts you might want to think. And they might, they may have interconnectedness to them that you might have a lot of fun doing something about. But, but what I like to call that board meeting is the experience of it. So how do I actually pull this back to earth and go, all right, how could all of this show up? We've got some pretty amazing fundamentals here we could do something with. No, that's amazing. That's a really good perspective. I had a, a counselor one time tell me some version of the, the God on average is a yellow light God that a lot of us walk around <laughs> looking for greens and reds, you know, clear go or clear stop. And it was a really good picture of, I love the way you put it, the indirectness of God, that most of the time he puts some things in your direction and it's kind of up to you to, to step on the gas and run through it or to or to press pause. And he's not usually super angry. And then every now and then he'll throw up a green or a red, but that's not really the way he acts on most circumstances. So tell me about this Very board good. meeting. So board meeting, we gloss over that too quickly. I think that a number of entrepreneurs will wonder what happens when you walk into a board meeting and the board just decides, let's go ahead, let's triple things. Let's increase things 300%. That must have been an interesting day. And I'd love to hear what's transpired after that. Yeah, so not only grow 300%, but do it in five years was the commitment they were requesting from me because I had kept telling them what an incredible potential this company had. And that, you know, when you have the best tasting tomatoes in a category where tomatoes taste pretty lousy, what was to limit us from being able to expand and that the possibilities and the platform that that created within the produce in all of North America was enormous. So they actually took me up on that and said, okay, so let's, let's get going. Let's triple the size of the company. And what I recognized at the time was that we didn't have the productivity. We didn't have the resources, meaning the number of greenhouses necessary to grow that. And I didn't have a language for it at the time. I just didn't know how to do it. But I made a commitment to it. And I went and we came up with a what some would call a vision, what we call inside the company an invented future. And that invented future was intended to grip our feelings and grip our thoughts in such a way as to have an automatic orientation into action. And that's a total phrase I've stolen from Dallas Willard because I think it's a wonderful way of describing what vision is. It causes you to go into an automatic orientation into action. And then we shared it with what was then 5,000 people in the company and coupled it with, look, we don't know how to do this. So we know that for us to grow at that level, we're going to need 300% productivity from you. So the vision we'd like to share with you is that Nature Suite is the groundbreaking leader of the fresh produce industry driven through unleashing the power of people. So we're going to unleash your power and you're going to tell us how to do this. And the promise we're making back to you is that if you achieve 300% productivity, then you'll earn enough money to own your own home. And of course, when you say 300% productivity to someone, they immediately think you mean 30. So clarify, <laughs> no, we mean 300%. And then they told us, well, that truly, it was remarkable how quickly the folks in the company first wanted to test whether or not we were serious. Because, you know, remember, the vast majority of the people who work for our company, even today, 
come from an area in central Mexico that has been oppressed and taken advantage of for 500 years. From the time that the conquistadors landed to the consistent abuse of government, to the consistent abuse of the church, to the way they can feel manipulated by their families. So here comes this guy from San Antonio, Texas, speaking pretty bad Spanish and saying, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to promise you a house for 300% productivity. And the way that they honored that with trust to this day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think, how in the world did they muster up enough trust in that context to say, okay, I'm going to see whether or not you're going to follow through on this. And they showed up in a big, big way. That's amazing. I mean, I think that's a a story that all entrepreneurs can relate to, trying to motivate people and the phrase, uh, obviously, use unleash the power of people. So another thing we hear about is burnout from employees. It's hard growing that fast. Uh, What advice would you have of sort of communicating that message who people are maybe afraid of losing their early employees or people that are coming on board as opposed to unleashing them? How do you think about that balance? Well, the first part is that it's truly unleashed. I had a skill set for motivating people that I needed to bury. You know, motivation can become a manipulation. And so if I motivate people from the outside in, it can become, not always, but it can become a form of manipulation utilizing guilt. Like, why don't I want to participate in this? He makes that sound so good. And real power is generated from the inside out where someone makes a decision to participate freely. And so what I've learned over the years is how do I best explain the pursuit so that it is driven from you desiring to participate, not from me motivating you in the moment that you ought to participate in this because it's just so great. So that would be one thing I would suggest to somebody. So how do you do that? That sounds, I get that. But tell us how to do that. Give us some concrete examples because I think that most of our audience is still reeling a bit from thinking about how to throw something out there where it's saying, hey, we're going to increase productivity 300%. How do you get that where they're thinking without it being just this motivational speech where they can see it happening, they see the investment you're putting into them, And then they want to be a part of that. Yeah, good question. So the first thing is that you ask people what they really, really want. And the really, really is important part of the sentence. I'm not here to talk you into having a house. I'm here to ask you, what do you really, really want? And then I'm going to suggest to you that this company could be the avenue through which you can achieve that. So if you're looking for an economic independence that includes the possibility of owning your own home, then I'm gonna show you a pathway to doing this. And I will give you the training necessary to do that. If in your evaluation of what you really, really want is that I really don't care about owning my own home. I really, really want to maintain the freedom that migratory agriculture provides to me, then That is a freedom that is totally yours, and you ought to pursue that. But this will not be the place for you. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we I know I did. Let me speak for myself. I had an enormous amount of guilt when a lot of people in the early days decided to move on, and I thought, there's something I'm not doing right. Well, if unleashing the power of people means it assumes that people have power, and it assumes they don't need my parentalism. 
They need my love. They need my compassion. They need to know that I genuinely care for them. But that can include that we genuinely care for each other with you no longer in this company. And letting go of that, what I'll call savior mentality, is an important aspect to this because you will burn people out because they'll feel like they're part of a mission that they weren't necessarily called to. So that's how I would initially answer your question. On the second part, look, to be trusted, you have to be trustworthy. And that means as the entrepreneur, as the leader of an organization, when there wasn't an established trust, we needed to make the first move. And there were plenty of first moves we had to make, including moving the compensation before we saw the results. That was an important part of gaining trust so that folks could see that, hey, we're actually really serious about this. That's revolutionary. So you gave everybody a pay raise before they had actually done the work that would free that up. So before their productivity increased, you effectively communicated to them, we believe so much that you're going to be able to accomplish this. We're going to start paying you as if you're doing it. Yeah, so not as if you're doing it, but I'm going to give you a pay raise with no strings attached. Look, nobody became Nelson Rockefeller, but it was a signal to them that, hey, we're dead serious about this. We're not joking around. And there were significant other learnings. So when we did that, that was the first move. And then we set productivity goals where associates could earn more money. And what we immediately found out, and this is what I would say to anybody starting out a business, is that when you're going to open that up and you're going to give your associates the opportunity to really earn more and they take you seriously about it, you're going to find out really quick if you have the leadership in place to lead those folks to the productivity objectives that you laid out. And what I learned is we didn't. In fact, we took a survey six months after we initiated the program. Maybe it was nine. I don't remember. And it was just asked one question. It asked, does your leader contribute to your productivity? And there was a smiley face and there was a frown. And 93% of our associates checked the frown. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And what that taught me was, okay, next time I do this is I've got to start you know, Jesus said something really smart, which is love your neighbor. And he said something else really smart, which is, hey, start in Jerusalem and then go to Samaria and then go to actually goes Judea and then Samaria. And what I didn't think was, well, I'll just go to everybody at the beginning. Well, that's why he's a smart guy, because he was like, yeah, don't do it that way. You know, start closer in. You know, the first person I should have worked on transforming their life was the first person I saw that day. And I did it the opposite way. I went out and did, okay, we're going to announce this to 5,000 people. Everybody go with me and help me out. And now what I've learned is, no, I got to get the leadership team committed to it and evaluate their ability to execute it. Then I got to get to the directors. Then I got to get to the managers. Then I got to get to the supervisors. And then the people are ready to be led into this. But you know what? There was a lot of grace and we sorted it out. We went out and had to rehire and train a lot of new leaders and a lot of new management, and it was bumpy, but it sorted itself out. Now, that's really fascinating. I mean, it feels like you've been able to narrow down some really important concepts. I hear your survey that had one question, smiley face, frowny face. You identified this as a big part of your career, you know, as you think about this one big issue that happened. Uh, I want to zoom out a little bit 
and think about, I know you've talked a little bit about living for something bigger than yourself. And as you think about coming outside the company, when is this story finished? And what is that something bigger that sort of you're shooting to be a part of? Well, the part that I would love to see in my lifetime, but I'm willing to commit to regardless of whether I do or not, is to see the transformation of agricultural workers' lives in North America. I mean, the reason this company has existed is to see that transformation of agricultural workers' lives. I mean, in terms of legal employment, they are the most oppressed in North America. Now, there's plenty of illegal activities going on in sex trafficking and drug dealing and that. So I'm going to set those illegal activities aside. If you think about the protections that are in place for agricultural workers in the United States, there's no overtime pay necessary. There's virtually no minimum age. There's very few OSHA safety regulations. That's in the United States. So what can we do for these people who literally put their hands in our mouths every day, right? Because they're out there harvesting strawberries or they're harvesting tomatoes or they're, they're doing whatever they do in ag. And what can we do to see the transformation of the industry where these people are treated with the same respect that any human being is worthy of? And I would say one thing, you know, you mentioned lifetime. I think the release of outcome is an incredibly important aspect to pursuing something like that, because you can get very self-righteous in the middle of that pursuit. Mm. And the means by which you can let that self-righteousness go is you say, you know, what, I'm not going to absorb myself with whether or not I see this in my lifetime. In fact, this is such a fun and interesting pursuit for me personally, that if I lost at it, that'd be okay with me. You know, playing sports when I was younger, I, I really loved playing football and I didn't really like baseball that much. And if you would have told me that, hey, Brian, but if you played baseball, you'd win every game. And if you play football, you're going to lose every game. I'd go, yeah, I'd rather play football. And what I've found in this pursuit and really in all pursuits is that when it gets in my bones, winning and losing, as we generally classify them, just it kind of just goes away. It's just I really enjoy it. And I'll just see how this turns out. And, you know, it'll be where it's at when this part of my life is over. But I will have immensely enjoyed being able to participate in it. Bryant, you talk a lot in some of the writings that I've seen about abundance versus scarcity. What does abundance mean for you in the context of running a business and having employees? What would be an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality that you think that entrepreneurs, if left on their own devices, might find themselves trapped by? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think it's a largely misunderstood concept and and maybe I misunderstand it. But what has worked for me is that abundance means that I obsess about my vision and my intention and I don't worry about the means yet. So from my standpoint, there's always enough money in the world to do what needs to be done. The world has never run out of money. And what happens is we have a tendency to obsess first with 
here's how much money we have. Okay, now what do we want to do? Mm-hmm. And so when I hear Jesus talk about the little things, being faithful with little things, I think my interpretation of that is money's the little thing. It's not the big thing. The big thing is, where is my heart in all of this? And what is it that my character wishes to pursue? That's the big thing. And so abundance is the ability to say, with great courage, I want to go pursue this. And that I know that the resources for it will find their way here in time. So again, I, I've never heard of a project fail for lack of funding. I've heard of all projects at least this is true at Nature Suite and in every project I've ever participated in, they have failed for lack of intentionality. I never intended to do it. You know, I never intended to be really good at calculus. <laughs> you know, whether or not I'm smart enough to do it is a different question. And then I look at other things in my life where I really intended to do it and the means or the resources necessary to make those things come about as a reality have always been there. So abundance means that I have confidence that the resources will show up when I have my intention square on the pursuit. That's really good. That's really good. And I love the way, as we look to wrap up, and we're so grateful for our time together, I love the way that you're fueled by the perfect fast of Isaiah 58 to be able to address the injustice of the world, but then also to be able to understand the innate capabilities of every person created in the image of God. And that is you cast vision and help them to cast their own vision to understand their dreams and what their vision of abundance looks like, that you can do things like increase productivity by a crazy amount, not 30 percent, but 300 percent. Yeah, absolutely. And you you said something there that's so critical, which is and I sometimes lose sight of, which is of all of creation, human beings are the pinnacle of that. And we're so honored that we were made in his image. And so, you know, it's the old C.S. Lewis quote, you've never met a mere mortal, Mm, right? And so our opportunity to be able to interact and find human beings incredibly, incredibly fascinating. You know, that beats the sun in the sky, the comets, the mountains, and all those things of nature are amazing. But human beings are remarkable objects of creation that we get to interact with. Amen. Love that quote. Love that quote. It's something to remember every single day when we interact with people. As Henry mentioned, we're going to finish our show, and we like to finish each show by pointing back to Scripture. So incredible thoughts on Isaiah 58, but a little bit of an maybe an odd question, but wanted to ask, what do you feel like you're hearing from the Bible? Maybe what verse has come alive recently? Maybe one you've overlooked for years and just is jumping off the page to you in the last weeks or months. Where Where is God taking you right now? Yeah, you know, um, I like what you said for weeks or months, because as I've gotten older, and I hate saying that, but as I've gotten older, dwelling on particular verses and seeing how many times they hit you in a new way. And so in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared for the deliverance from sin and eternal salvation for all mankind. And what that verse has hit me with is not just how do we get more people into heaven, but how do we get more heaven into people? And that grace is, it is absolutely unmerited favor, but what grace is additionally 
is the power to really change my life that I don't mm. have to be stuck where I'm at that I can actually in this life, right? In the eternity by definition means right now. So in this life, I can have victory over things like anger and covetousness and jealousies and lusts and all those things that there is access to a power called grace that can give me victory over those things. And while perfection might be on the other side of this examination, meaning you know, my life here on earth, I sure can make a lot of progress and grace is there to facilitate it. So that's what's hitting me today. That's super Amen. good. Brian, I got to tell you that a podcast is made by its guests in the way that God speaks through them. And so you've mm. you've shared a ton with us today that's a great encouragement for all of us that have hired people, that have people working for them, which is every entrepreneur. So thank you. It's great being with you. I know we're running late on your time. Thank you for being generous with it. And uh, it's been a great encouragement. You've uh, you've impacted the way that I look at things. So thank you. Hey, y'all have a great week. Thanks for doing these things. It's great you're pushing that out into the world. Thanks so much, Brian. And for our listeners, we will be featuring a link to the video story of Unleash the Power of People, filmed by Right Now Media at Work, that features a little bit more of Nature Sweet and Brian in a video form, so you can see him and his company a little bit, as opposed to just hear about it. We really, really appreciate you letting us hear about it on this podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it has been extraordinarily rewarding to see people come into the site and the podcast now from more than 100 countries. That's right, 100. It's very important to us, of course, to make sure that we hear from you. So our hope is that you'll feel as if this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you for your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and you want to share with others. To do that, please visit faithdrivenentrepreneur.org backslash survey and share with us your feedback. You know, this podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends. Executive producer Justin Foreman, program directors Nicole Dickens and Adora Jones. Music by Carl Cadwell, and you can hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. 